Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar. Uh, this is a show where we talk about different topics in boxing. Uh, we we rank fighters um, as far as pound for pound. We look at different categories like who's the best southpaw. Um, my name is Wilton Henry. My name is Daniel Lee. Excited to be back with you guys this week. Uh, Will and Val held it down last week, but good to be back. Yes, and I'm Lavelle Jackson, boxing enthusiast, uh, watching boxing since long as I can remember. A shout out to my father, uh, Andrew Jackson. Uh, he definitely put me on to to it, so I know he's listening. Uh, you know, big shout out for for showing me the way, showing me a sport that I I, I love. Yeah, we back. We got the three amigos back. Uh, Danny, uh, last time we, we chopped it up, you said that you were sparring last week. W- w- were you out there cracking heads like Mike Nye? <laughs> you know, I did what I had to do. Um, no, it was, it was, it was a good, it was a good little, we, we did five rounds and, um, it was some good rounds. I, I felt, I felt my mistakes, but I, I had some good stuff to build off of. I, um, I, I feel like I'm growing too. You know what I mean? So it was good. So I, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> I couldn't have said that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did what I had to do. I mean, yeah, I, you heard it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, this week we got a, a different type of show that we're going to uh, we got for you guys. Um, this week we have about ten or so topics that we're going to talk about, and so we're not going to do our usual ranking of top ten fighters um, for different in different categories. We just have ten questions that we're going to answer that's uh, currently going on in the world of boxing. So the first question we have on here is um, our take on a Devin Haney and Gary Russell ordeal. Does somebody want to take that first or you want me to jump right in? I'll start out. Um, Gary Russell, I I, I like him because, like, you know, he's a, I think, PG County guy, whatever, Maryland somewhere from that area. And, you know, I spent a lot of significant amount of time up there. So I naturally rock with boxers who, who are from that area. That guy's annoying, man. He's just like, dude hasn't fought. I, I mentioned it a few podcasts ago. He's fought once a year since 2015. He goes on social media on Instagram live. He calls out Crawford. He calls out tank. He calls out Santa Cruz. Now he's calling out Devin Haney. Um, Everybody except for people in his actual, you know, division that he could fight, and so it's like, it, it's like at this point, do you do you like boxing or do you do you want a payday? Like to me, at least, it seems like he wants to play with house money. Like he wants to get a nice payday for a fight that he's not expected to actually win. Right. Well, what what I was going to say regarding the topic is, um, and, and you're correct. You know, he's been doing a lot of wolfing, and that's, I'm talking about Gary Russell. So if we're looking at the situation, and um, you're right, he called out Haney, called out Crawford, and a host of other guys. We're calling out a lot of people. Um, at the end of the day, when I look at who's right or who's wrong in a situation, um, Haney sent the offer to Russell. And um, I think mm-hmm. the offer was for about $1.5 million. Eventually, Russell agreed to that amount. According to Gary Russell, that – there were stipulations in the contract and he wasn't willing to accept the contract based on those stipulations. They renegotiated, um, the zone, uh, gave him, they, they said that, um, they took the stipulations out. 
So then they sent over a contract, and what Russell said was that the contract in there, it didn't have Matt's room on there, it didn't have Hearn on there, and it didn't have the zone's name on the contract. And so he was reluctant on signing. So he said, I'm not signing if it doesn't have everything on it. So uh, when, I, when I look at it from that perspective, I can't fault either guy because I won't sign anything unless it's a complete contract. The problem is, is that he's been calling so many people out so aggressively that people are like, man, if you really want to fight, then go ahead and take the fight. But at the end of the day, like when I look beneath the surface, I can understand where he's coming from, where he's saying that you got to give me a complete contract or else I'm not going to sign a fight for this fight. So that's my take on that situation. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys. Um, now, actually, I, I like Gary Russell. I, you know, uh, he stays in shape. Um Boxing purist. He has all the skill in the world, speed, power, uh, what have you, IQ. Um, but he 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 was talking like he he wanted to smoke. And you know, once you get that opportunity, it's like uh, like for example, it's almost like people want to be the, the 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 late version of Floyd Mayweather where they get to pick and choose, you know, what they do with the contract and all that. But they don't want to just take the smoke like he did. Like uh, it's forgotten. He did take when Floyd took that fight against De La Hoya. He agreed to all the stipulations. He didn't care because he believed he can beat him, even if it worked against him. Like for example, with Marvin Hagler, it worked against him uh, in the fight with Sugar Ray, where he accepted all the stipulations. But that's how bad he wanted the fight. And sometimes you have, to, if you re- really, you know, believe you the best, sometimes you have to take that that offer. And but at the same time, I'm, I'm up to the business of it. That's speaking from my perspective as a you know as a fan. You know, I just want to see the fight. I don't care about all the, the business stuff. But as a businessman, you know, you're right. You can't just sign a contract. You don't know what's in that contract. He might walk away with 100k. You know, you know it said like 1.5 million because of the wording. So we don't know exactly what's in that contract. Um, but. Uh, as far as his, his, you know, the things he's been saying, yeah, I listen to it. You know, I I, I hear what everybody saying the, the the issue with him and uh, Terrence Crawford, but I, I I was gonna sway away from bringing it up on a you know a, a podcast like this because I want to you know get too much into s- social media and, and talk and all that and the trash talking about and that, and that type of stuff. You know, I I only want to deal with you know just concrete. Uh, I'll believe this fight is going to happen when the contract is signed, and then I'll t- I'll talk about it more and you know what I think will happen from there. Let me ask you a quick question, fellas. Who you who you got if they do lock horns? Uh, I got I got Haney. Um, I was reading about it a second ago. I forget which boxer said this, but I thought he was correct. I think it was Mickey Bay. He said that. And in my opinion, I could see. I, I think just Haney just has too many advantages over over Russell. I think. Okay. Hmm. I, I'm I'm still not sure. I'm a Haney guy. Like I I think Haney is is. Everyone knows I'm big on Haney and think he's the future. Well, well I have to question: Is he really ready for for that? Even though you know Russell is smaller, you know, you know, a shorter fighter, but he's definitely he's experienced in season two. You know, he's been pro for a while now. You know, um, so I, I don't know. I, I kind of lean towards Devin Haney, but you can't count someone like you know Gary Russell out. I, I, I truly believe we haven't really seen. 
the the best of them seen the goods yet. And it's kind of it's kind of exciting but sad at the same time because he's been pro a long time. And I remember they were coming, he was coming up at the exact same time, and they were marketing him at the exact same time that they were marketing Adrian Broner. And we've seen that Adrian Broner basically has played his career almost out. He, he's he's on the other side of his career now and made a lot of money out of it. So uh, yeah. still a lot to be desired with a Gary Russell. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, we're going to move on to question number two. Question number two was uh, who you got in the Pavekian uh, Dillian White rematch if it takes place. Now, it's supposed to, they're looking for November, like the latter part of November. Who would you favor in that fight and why? I'll favor whoever takes the most use. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, it's going to be hard. It's it's going to depend on if uh, Dean Leon White can could mentally rebound from a knock, knockout like that. Now, if he can com, compartmentalize it, he has a chance. I mean, uh, but whenever whenever someone gets knocked out like that, normally it it doesn't go well the second time around. Like because uh, really it's the confidence issue, you know. And he and he's not he's not someone like. Uh, Deontay Wilder, who has an eraser that he can fall back on. That's not Dillian White, you know. Yeah, so yeah, I, I would think that in a case like that, I think Dillian White, I, I'm assuming, I haven't heard from him or anything like that, but I, I know with a guy who has an ego like that, he probably is kind of embarrassed that he's been whooping so much and then he got knocked out the way that he got knocked out, so he want to get some get back really quickly. But He's going against his greater judgment. And in a situation like that, I remember when Roy Jones got knocked out by Antonio Tarver. That happened in May. And he came back in September. And I recall them saying that Roy Jones, you know, in a situation like that, the way he got knocked out, you should take off at least six months when you get knocked out, you know, to that extent. And he came back within a four-month period. This is about what two months or three month time period from the time he got knocked out, and he, that was a vicious knockout. So I don't even think it's um, it, it'll be a psychological type thing, but I just don't think your cranium can recover that quickly to be able to fight like that. And I think he's going to get hit again, and then it's just going to be um, it's going to end up bad for him. So I would lean towards not even lean towards. I would heavily favor Quebec in the rematch um, if they fight in November. What about you, Dano? Yeah, I would agree with you. And also, I, I went back and watched the first one. And I, I also agree with you, Will, on your previous assessment that that first one was closer than the announcers were, were sort of letting off in, in the moment. Um, And, yeah, I, I think is if, if this were happening again in, like, say, February or something or March, April, whatever, I, I might think differently, but – that's that's a quick turnaround to wake up after you was put to sleep that way, you know. So, yeah, I, I just can't see it psychologically either. I, I could see it affecting him in a way that, like, he may plot, he may try to play it even, like, not I wouldn't say even, but he may try to play it safe, and it may end up resulting in him getting caught or opening himself up to like smaller shots that eventually will get him caught again. So, I will have to go provoking on this one as well. Okay, and then the third topic that we're going to address is 
who do you guys think is the most overrated fighters? Who are the most overrated fighters currently? That question, uh, that was very hard, for, hard to say, hard for me to say, because today's fighters don't fight as often, and, you know, they leave more to be desired. So it's, it's hard to say that someone is uh, more or less overrated because a lot of times they just haven't got that test. It's just usually after that test and they get knocked out and say, oh, yeah, this person's overrated or they were exposed or, or what have you. Um, but we're in the era where a lot of people are, are preserving as many O's as possible and, and racking up as many wins as possible without any losses. They don't want to, you know, fight each other. So it's it's pretty difficult, you know, when a lot people get put in showcase fights a lot, you know. Okay. Well, now this is this question is is um, let me put it like this. I think that fighters they, they can be overrated. Um, like that little guy that was fighting, he's overrated for even him being on TV. What was the guy's name who who ended up getting the victory, but he really lost? Um, oh, you talking about? Uh... Romero, yeah, so to me, he's overrated because of the fact he has no business being on live TV. I know? never rated him, so it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I never rated it. It's just like he just showed, well, 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 to be fair, with the with the COVID 19 situation, they were putting a lot of guys on TV who were up and coming who probably normally wouldn't have been on television. And yeah, you're right, there was some hype coming into there, like, you're like, who's this guy? And you know. And really, he—it's more so he overrated himself because he's walking in the ring with it, you know, his look on his face like he just got this, mm-hmm. and he really doesn't. So um, it's hard to say because he was never proven to begin with, really. You know, no, I, I, I hear what right. you're saying. I'm just, I'm just saying like it's levels to being overrated. Like that's a, a degree to me in which a fighter can be overrated when they're mm-hmm. putting him on like that. Now, these two fighters that I'm going to say, I know you, my, you, y'all, my guys, but I, y'all not going to like this. Okay, and I'll get to those guys in a second, but I think also slightly, just slightly, I think Terrence Crawford is overrated just slightly as well because I don't see on his resume somebody who, um, the way like now it's it's not as as much now as far as how they are, um, you know, showcasing Crawford. They don't they don't do it to the degree in which they did it before, but just based on the level of opposition that he's fought, when they were hyping him up, to me, it was just a little bit much for the level of fighters that he, he defeated. Now, he has done, he has had some accomplishments in terms of the weight class he won belts in. I just don't see any upper echelon opponent that he is that he's beaten so far. So that's, that's, that's one thing. Like I say, you can collect belts in different weight classes, but who have you beat? Who, 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 uh, it's not how many you fought, it's who, who the caliber of fighters that you fought. So he's slightly overrated to me, but I'm going to get to the ones who I think are, are overrated. Now, not that they're not good fighters and not that they're possibly or potentially great fighters, but you can't tell me the time when they were telling me that Golovkin was top 25 fighter in the past 25 years. And then on top of that, Abel Sanchez is on record saying that we're going to go up, we'll go to 175, we'll beat everybody from 160, no, 154, because they were talking about fighting Mayweather and Canelo, but they weren't going to go down to fight Canelo, but they were willing to go down to fight Mayweather, and he said they can go all the way up 
and they they and they're supposed to be the most feared fighters. Then when he's saying this, Lara is calling them out. So okay, I'll come up the middle way. And next thing you know, they ignore him, and then they fight Willie the Worm Monroe. Mm. Then after that, he they hyped up the David Lemieux match. This is gonna be the biggest slug fest since the Hagler Hearns. Are you serious? David Lemieux shouldn't even be in that same. Uh, you should, don't even mention him near those names. So then, then he outboxed David Lemieux. Cool. He, he took that approach. And then he um, decides to fight the unheralded Dominique Wade. Then he fights the smaller Kale Brook. You know what I mean? And then he, fought, he found time, you know, to get in. Uh, later on, like Steve Rose and Bonds Matarosa and all of these guys, like after a while, people wanted to fight him. And he started fighting those caliber opponents. You can't tell me you're the top 25 fighter in the last 25 years when you're doing stuff like that. So I thought he was just a, a, a tad bit overrated for what they were saying about him. Then the last guy that I'm going to say, and I, I know, Danny, that kind of hurts you because you, you said that yo, you went to New York and that was like the best event that you went to. I apologize. But I, it's, it's how I feel about these things. I, I'm, not, I'm not even mad at that. If you remember, I said some of those same lines when I had him in my, like, number 10 for my whatever of the decade, my, my pound for about a decade. So I, yeah, I'm not even mad at it. Yeah, and that's why you said that you didn't rank him higher because of those things. I, I hear you. Now, I'm, I'm going to be kind with this one as well. But I think... I'm going to be honest, man. I think Loma is slightly overrated. I do. I honestly do. Okay. Let, me give you, let me give you my rationale and reason why. Now, he's good. Yeah, I told you, the Matrix, man, like some of the things I do, is, is, it's really great. But he's hyped up to me because, for one, he's 14 and 1 with a loss to Orlando Salido. So, th- for me, that, and when they're talking about, okay, this guy's the greatest since Mayweather. That was his second fight. <laughs> His second no, no, fight. I, I know. I just hear me out. Just let okay. me go ahead and speak my piece. That's all. all you right, know, he got, the, he, he got the, his, his, one of his biggest victories over the guy we just mentioned, Gary Russell. You know, I remember that was a majority decision, but he got the victory. Great. All right. Then he has a victory over the, you know, great Olympian. Unfortunately, he was 58 years old and he was coming up two weight classes and riggedy out, you know. But so he got that on this victory. And then, you know, I know he got the Nicholas Waters victory on this belt, but Nicholas Waters was out like a whole year having trouble making weight. And in his last outing, he had to draw against uh, Jason Sosa. So, he should have won. <laughs> he may have. I'm just saying, like, yeah, for me, when, when, when you're telling me that these guys are um, the greatest things since Mayweather or even Bob Arum is saying all of these things like you you that's going a little bit too not it, it's some of the other things that they said as well where they putting them in and like the close to like some of the all-time greats and stuff like that just pump your brakes you know what i mean let him you know get a more uh some more quality victories under his belt and then i, I you'll have my full support but just let's not make people more special than what they are is all i'm saying so those are the two that's on my list as far as being a little bit hyped up Okay, um, you know I re- I respect it. I respect it. Um, like I said, I wasn't mad at Triple G, and and I I see your reasoning for Loma. I'm not mad at it. Um, for me, I uh one of the guy I had a few guys on my list, but uh, I may not name all three. But the first one that I I definitely will name here is 
Teofimo Lopez. And, and I think so because, like, so look, in terms of his quality of opposition, he's been – he's. I feel like he's been built up correctly, like objectively speaking. Now, in terms of the way he moves in negotiating, the way that he speaks of himself, the way that his father speaks of him, I, I just think I, – I can't help but think that, you know, his mouth is writing a check that his hands can't cash. Um, and I think those chickens will come home to roost soon, but, you know, that remains to be seen. But when I think of overrated, I think of, you know, who who has talked themselves up so much that they've overrated themselves. I, I, you know, I I have to think Tank is a little bit overrated as well. Um, so I, I will say that he his last fight was pay-per-view. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So he, he is a pay-per-view fighter now. We can call him that. And so he's, he's earned that. But when I think of who he's fought, like marquee fights, so on and so forth, um, he's looked good in the fights that he has. But in terms of like that fight to that sort of like that I have arrived fight, I I personally haven't seen it yet. Um I thought I might have mentioned this before in a previous podcast, but I, I thought that it took him way too long to get uh, a 38 year old Gamboa out of there at 135. Um, the fact that he's had trouble making weight at both 130 and 135 is sort of a sort of a red flag to me. And so um, I, I think he's going to do what he has to do against Santa Cruz, but in terms of how he sort of presents himself. I don't know if he's at the top of 135, um, so I would I would go with those two. Hey, I agree with you on that. I, I I wasn't even I forgot all about Tank. Tank is overrated, you know, based on right now as far as what he's done and like how much, you know. I'm, and I'm not mad at him because he is an attraction. When he fought in Atlanta, I think he sold that place out. So if mm-hmm. he's able to do that, he deserves whatever it is he gets paid and compensated for. But his talent right now. And what he's shown, you know, and like you said, against Gamboa and then some of the other fights that he didn't look so good and then not making weight and being uh, unreliable and stuff like that. I, I totally agree. And I agree with Tiafimo Lopez as well. Yeah, for me, uh, I do. Th- I think Tank, I'm not sure if he's overrated. I mean, they, they, yeah, they speak him up a lot. I think he just leaves more to be the desire and we don't know if, we, if he's going to be the, the guy that moves up to 140, 147. And then, you know, we don't know. But he, one thing I will say is, is, is it's a lot of fights that he that him and his team probably should have taken. Like, it's no reason why him and Gary Russell should have not fighting yet. I, I mean, I've talked about this fight before they, they even were on a collision court. I thought about it. I was asking why wasn't they fighting like three, four years ago, you know? So it's, it's not, it's, I don't think competition is the issue. I think people, he just need to, his team needs to get out there and just make those fights. You know, we need to make those fights so we can see where, where is this person really at? How good are they really? Cause you never know. He could actually be the goods. I mean, he, he had, he, you can't deny that he, he has serious power. He has, you know, crazy knockout power. He has, what, his, his knockout percentage is like, what, 95%? You know, um, he has boxing ability, underrated boxing ability, boxing ability, but we don't know 
how far he can go as far as challenging himself because he hasn't had those challenges yet. He hasn't had someone on his resume that you can truly say is breakout fighter, really. And he's 25 years old. And that's kind of the the sad thing with, the, you know, today's boxers. Like, even when you look at – we just mentioned Terrence Crawford. You know, he's in his early 30s, and he hasn't really had that victory that's going to put him across that line yet, you know. Uh, it just leaves a lot to be desired. Right. I just the only thing with Tank to me is that, um, you know, missing weight. Like he he he's he's been consistent with doing things like that where he's not reliable. And then the other thing is is they set him up pretty with the Gamboa fight. You know, that was supposed to be a showcase, coming out party, and you know he didn't deliver on somebody who was way past his prime. But you know, you like you say, it's yet to be seen. You know, in terms of how his career is going to pan out. I just think that he'll be better suited if he can stay in some shape and be at 130, no more than 135, because he's too short. Like, anybody that's taller than him is just going to outbox him if they're smart enough, you know, because he just he, – he won't have a reach to reach you, you know, with his short, stocky stature that he has. Um, right. But, you know, like I say, it's, it's, it's yet to be determined. Um, and the last question that I had on the docket was, who are some guys that you think are some potential pound for pound caliber fighters that haven't made it there just yet? You know, number one, I would have to go um my guy Shakur Stevenson. I think I think he's being built up at the right pace. I think he's fighting the right quality opposition to allow him to grow into his body, to come into his own as a fighter. Still a very young guy, silver medalist. Um, I think the potential is there. Um, I did question in his first few fights, but the last few fights, I can't really deny his talent up to this point. And I think that uh, he has the the superstar potential as well, because you know you have the guys that are in a pound for pound, but then you know, like you don't always have the personalities that go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he has the potential to sort of have have both of those both of those things. Not necessarily as a heel, more so as a face, probably. But um, I, I definitely see the potential there. Mm-hmm. Another one I have. Um, this is a dark horse. A lot of folks don't know about this guy, but uh, Jaron Ennis out of Philly at one forty-seven. He's twenty-five and 0, 23 knockout. He's already a dangerous fight for anybody at one right now. But that man is twenty-three years old. I think. I, I I will call it right now. I think he's definitely gonna have a welterweight belt in twenty twenty one. Okay. Uh, on this, I, I also had uh, a Jaron Ennis, Jaron Ennis. Um, for the reason you said, you know, he's a switch hitter. He's tall. He's big. He's huge for for welterweight. He could probably end up. He can end probably in his career at one sixty. You know, and and, mm-hmm. and I think those two weight classes are. From 147 to 160 is a hard one to make. And only people who are really, truly good really do that. That's why a lot of guys who are even at 147 right now, will, they will not <laughs> move up to 154, you know, because uh, they're special. So I think he will, you know, and he's been calling a lot of fighters. Like he's caught uh, Errol Smith out, actually, you know, but we know he doesn't have that. 
that hype and experience that to, to really push him over there to, to, to demand that, you know, that type of, of fight. But he's in that same position that, you know, Spence was years ago. Uh, another guy is, is Virgil Ortiz, Ortiz Jr. Um, just like Jerron Ennis, he's like a, um, a dark horse, a big welter, you know, tall guy, could probably end up at, I think he'll fight in his career at 154 maybe, you know, uh, a lot of power. Uh Knocked everyone. He stopped everyone he's been in the ring with. Um, I think him and Ennis is actually on a collision course. Um, eventually, that could be one of those great fights of like in, in the next two or three years. Um, but then again, I, I did also say that about uh, Sean Porter and um, uh, Keith Thurman, which, you know, it, it, yeah, it happened. It was a pretty good fight. I thought I always thought that fight would have been bigger, you know, years before they met. Uh, then I have, um, of course, I have Shakur Stevenson, you know, he, Olympian. I thought he was kind of robbed in the Olympics. He could have, I thought he could have uh, gone further. Um, great defense, boxing ability. He used to get criticized for a lack of power, but then he, the very next fight, he, you know, he showed he. He can uh, stop his opponent and, and knock him out in exciting fashion. And then you have Devin Haney, who I always uh, – before people start talking about him, I, I, I knew he was going to be special, you know, young kid. For me, he's almost like the, the, the you know, the black uh, Canelo Alvarez. I think he's, you know, seasoned at a very, very young age, and he's going to do a lot by age 30. In my, you know, that's just my opinion. Uh, and those who I think – you know, will be the, the next stars. Okay. Uh, out of those guys you mentioned, you fellas mentioned, I, I have one because um, I think he's a lot. But, um, and I'm not, I, I've seen uh, Jerron Ennis fight, I think, uh, once. He looked good, real tall, got power. Um, Shakur, some of the guys who fight on top rank, I, sometimes I miss some of those matches. Um, because well, I just missed some of the top ranked matches, but I know that Shakur is very talented. But my lock uh, for being a, a pound for pound potential, pound for pound star, and even like the pound for pound king would be Devin Haney, because I think he has the four attributes that is needed in order to become just that. He's charismatic, got the skills to pay the bills, he wants to fight the best, and then from what I've seen, he has the dedication. Um, and so, you know, out of everybody else that I see, um, maybe Shakur Stevenson has that, and maybe even Ennis. I don't know those guys as much as I've studied uh, Devin Haney and some of the things that he says, what comes out of his mouth. You know, I like the package that he brings to the table. So I think in the future, if he can get the fights, if people are willing to, to you know, they want to smoke with him, then I think that he can get there to be a top powerful part, maybe even a cash collar boxer um, eventually. So those are my four questions that I had on the docket. I think I'm going to turn it over to Danny because you had the next four or next three. Yep. It's funny, too, that you said Haney because uh, I actually I actually had him and, and didn't say it because I, I was like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to do too much talking. But, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you before we move forward. I, I think he genuinely enjoys boxing, and I, I do think he has all four of those attributes. Um. So my, my first question, it's been rumored that uh, Joe Smith Jr. and 
Arthur Betterbiev are on a collision course at 175 to unify their light heavyweight belts. Um, Joe Smith Jr. recently beat Alvarez for the belt. Um, and so um, I don't have much to say on this, but if you guys have anything to say, I, I do have a little bit, but I'll, I'll let one of you guys go on first. Okay. As far as the uh, better be a potential matchup with um, Joe Smith Jr., you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, um, and not necessarily even a fan. I, I just like the work that better be a puts in. Um, and even though his career started uh, more recently, in like 2013, 2014, and Smith been in the game a, a little bit longer, um, he's older. Like He's like five years older than uh, Joe Smith. But the only way I see Joe Smith winning against Better Bia, there was two ways he can win. One is that Better Bia just gets too old. You know what I mean? And uh, But I don't see that happening because I think that he – it's preserved because of the fact that he started so late. So I think, I don't think that'd be the case. The other way that Joe Smith can win is that right hand. He has a tremendous right hand and that could um, hurt any fighter that he's in the ring with. But just based on what I've seen with better be and better be if it's not um, Alvarez, you know, who Smith upset a couple weeks ago, he's not the same guy like Alvarez try to wait too long and set up his shot to go ahead and get you in trouble or you know he he it's, it's just a different pace that he fights at better be a he has a strategy in terms of what he's going to do he bring it's something that he brings to the table he has an identity that he's going to fight on the inside and again he has the heavy hands anytime that he touches you on the inside it spells trouble for his opponent either if you can take it initially but eventually it's going to break you down and that's why he has so many knockouts in his, his fights. I think he has um, all knockouts in his fights. You're not going to take that type of punishment from him for 12 rounds. You just can't. And Joe Smith is not the fighter who's going to be trying to outbox uh, Better Bia. I see this being a knockout for Better Bia if they end up potentially having this matchup. Uh, I believe I agree with you, uh, Will. I think yeah, better be yes. He's gonna uh, better be. He's gonna uh, put the hurt on Joe Smith Jr. I don't see much that Joe Smith has that can really compete with him. I think uh, Joe has been very fortunate in his career. I mean, it's gone it's pretty far farther than we probably thought he would go. But uh, I think better be is at a it's at a different level, you know, <laughs> and and. Judging from from his last fight, he, he does seem to be slowing down. Now, he I heard he did have a, a, a rib injury, a slight rib injury. We don't know if his if you know injuries are starting to show or pile up. But other than that, I still think he's gonna it's gonna be brutal for Joe Smith Jr. Now Smith might will have his moments. I, I think in the uh, early to mid rounds, but once. Uh, Better be if he decides to take over. I think it's just going to spell doom for him. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I, I, I think that it's easy as a boxing fan to witness a unification fight because, you know, in this climate, we don't often get fights where two title holders are fighting each other because, you know, the best don't always fight the best. Um, but I do think it would. I do think the, the way it would play out would be, like you said, Lavelle, um, 
you know, it, Joe Smith Jr. might make it exciting in the beginning, but also, like you said, Will, I could see him getting knocked out as well. Um, he just said a, I think he's just at a different level. Um, and, you know, still shout out to Joe Smith Jr. for really overachieving, honestly, as a boxer. Um, so I can't be mad at him for that. But if these two guys are to fight, I'll put my money on, on Better Be a for sure. Now, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the Canelo issue with the zone and with Golden Boy. Um, and part of that issue was Canelo fighting a premier opponent. He did have a mandatory, um, but it did not look like he would, that mandatory would, would clear the zone's uh, approved list, so to speak. So my question to you guys is, uh, who would you want to see him next? Who who would you want to see him fight next? Uh, who do I want him to fight, or who is he probably going to fight? Now, who do I want him we to go fight? with both. We go with both. Uh, I, I, I'll just go with who, who, who I want him to fight. I want to honestly see him against uh, Jamal Charlo. You know, um, that fight was being talked about, I believe, in the last year, and. Uh, for, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Um, but I think that would be an interesting fight. Um, I think Jamal brings a lot to the table um, to, against uh, Canelo. He's very athletic, you know, has power, boxing ability, and for most, he has a chin. Um, and also, the other fight I would like to see, um, the other fighter I would like to see against Canelo is Caleb Plant. But at the same time, even at 168, I, I, I firmly believe that Canelo is getting by off his, his, you know, his skill level and gifts. That he's really not a 168-pounder. He really belongs at 160. And a lot of those guys, I think, are too big for him, and eventually it's going to catch up with him. But I, I do think Caleb Plant will be a, a a great fight for him at 168. And I, I think he should stay away from 175. Uh, for the time being, I think he's actually too short to be at that weight. Um, but at 160, I, I definitely would want to see him against uh, Jamal Charlo. I, I think that was a fight that it just got got away. And I think um, PBC in the zone, they, they just couldn't uh, get together and make that fight happen. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an easy one for me. I said this in a previous episode. You got to update your resume, uh, Mr. Canelo Alvarez, and that could go. Um, the, the only way you can go about doing, let me be crystal clear with this. You have to fight. If you want to fight like the best caliber opponent that you possibly can face, it got to be at 160, because if you fight at 168, it's always going to be a built in excuse. The fact that, oh, I need to go back down. It's really not my weight. So, and he said that he went up to 168, 175, because he just wanted to collect those belts. 160 is, is, is where that's your wheelhouse. The best fighter to me at 160 right now is Jamal Charlo. Or if he loses to Darian Pachinko, then fight Darian Pachinko. That would be a solid opponent as well. But the fact that they haven't fought yet, to me, you should go ahead and set the match up with Charlo because anything else is going to be an excuse. You got a built-in excuse already. We don't want excuses. We want to see you fight the best at your best weight, and then we can go ahead and let you, you know, cherry pick somebody else or fight a light touch after that. That's cool. You the cash cow. You can fight uh, – whoever is a big name, but we know that you're going to beat them. But you got to fight somebody like Charlo first. Um, but who he should fight next before Charlo, he better get him a tune-up. 
Like, I'm cool with him getting a tune-up, but that next big fight has to be Charlo, and it has to be after the tune-up. Yeah, I I agree with both of you guys. Um, it's funny because I actually made a list of all the weight divisions that he's fought at so far. And so for my 160, I had Charlo. Uh, my 168, um, I didn't have Plant, but I think you might have said this before, Will, uh, Caleb Smith. I think you might have mentioned them together previously. Mm-hmm. And if we were to fight at 175, um, I, I would like to see him against Dimitri Bivol. Now, to your point, Will, um, I agree with the fact that, like, why fight at 168, 175 when your your weight class right now is 160? Because, you know, that comes with excuses that you could use potentially. So out of those three, I, I would also like to see him fight against Montalo. Now, uh, segueing into my next question for you guys, um, I mentioned the zone a second ago, and um, mine is more so kind of big picture in terms of the future of boxing on TV. And I bring this up because the zone is having issues with uh, with their their cash cow. They gave Canelo three hundred sixty five million dollar contract. They gave Matchroom Boxing a pretty big contract. They gave Triple G a pretty big contract. Um, and so they're kind of maxed out right now. Um, recently, they've cut Matchroom's budget by 40%. They're doing layoffs. And so there's legitimate questions as to how long they're going to last. It, it's pretty safe they'll probably have enough cash flow or at least enough to get them through 2020. But, you know, what they make 2021? If they don't, um, you know, Matchroom and Golden Boy have problems because they will have to find new places to showcase their fighters. The problem there is they can't go to HBO because HBO isn't doing boxing anymore. ESPN is doing top rank. Would ESPN do top rank and Golden Boy, or would ESPN do top rank and Matchroom? Um, it can't really go to to Fox or Showtime. That's PBC, and I'm not personally sure I see. NBC or CBS just up and deciding to do boxing all of a sudden anytime soon. And so um, if the zone were to sort of fall through, you know, I guess the question would would be, is there anything that would change with TV? What would the change look like? One of my initial thoughts would be maybe there would be a streaming service they could start. But, you know, with all these companies sort of, you know, sort of going into their own streaming services, I'm not sure how w- willing people would be to pay for an additional streaming service just to watch boxing. So, interested to hear you guys' thoughts on that. So, just, just to clarify your question, is it what's going to happen if the zone folds? I guess uh, the more overarching question would be, what do you see, what what do you see the future on, with boxing on TV in general looking like. Um, and you can factor in the zone. You don't have to mention the zone. I wanted to use them as sort of like a conversation starter. Um, but just sort of like your your outlook on, on the future boxing on TV. Well, I was looking at it through the lens of the zone. I'll just say this. I think that the zone, you put a fork in them in about maybe two, three years, they'll be out of there because, again, they started on, on a shaky foundation. They tried to, like, get fighters from other companies and they were throwing all of the money out there. They thought that they were going to be, I don't think they thought the plan through um, because if you're going to pay fighters like that, 
and like they paid them and you just got a streaming site at first it was 9.99 a month i know they went up but if you are grandfathered in you still pay 9.99 a month the money that they shell out you're not going to be able to pay for those fighters and you got fighters who they have in trouble because they don't have the best fighters now if you had all of the best fighters and people just you know paying for that subscription then that would be different but people are not and so they're in a world of trouble the zone is going to be out of here um as far as what's going to happen those fighters just going to sign to either top rank or pbc they're just going to join over to them and i think that you're just going to have better fights once they get on to those other uh networks that those networks will have a, a more fighters to pull from to set up better fights and it just be easier to be able to have um you know, because you know, I got Andre over here, and you got a, you got a cross network with him and a PBC fighter, or cross work with him and a top rank fighter. So most of the good fighters would be on either one of those networks, kind of like it already is. But you would just have more fighters on those other networks. So I think it's going to benefit boxing a little bit more than it already has. I just think once you cut out, you had too many promoters in there, then it's too much you have to do in in order to have um, all of the uh, everything set up like who's who's going to uh get this amount of money what with sponsors and all of that type of stuff so it's too convoluted right now it'll be better once you cut out um the zone and their network and fighters are going to go to either top rank or bbc with the zone I, i've never really liked their business model i mean i like the deal at first but as far as um the projection of how long it was going to go. Um, it didn't seem like it was going to be a good thing long-term, you know, especially with the fighters that they had. I mean, you can't just you make put all your eggs into Canelo and, and, and then say, oh, we're going to put all eggs into the fight of Canelo versus Triple G. Because that's just one fight, and they're paying Canelo, like, they have, a, like, a $300 million contract with him. And it's like, how many opponents are you going to get for him? And you can't. And if you're gonna have to get those, if you're gonna get those opponents, you're gonna have to spend money. And with the COVID nineteen situation, where you know basically the live gates and fans are not gonna be paying to, to, to see those fights in live, it's all gonna be pay per view. So I think that's gonna take away a lot of revenue. Um, and, and honestly, I think a lot of uh, boxers are gonna get a, a, a rude awakening, especially the ones at the top that they are gonna get have to take pay cuts um, because. Live gate, it's almost like I, I like to make this analogy with hip hop. You know, people sell it like you know, you see rappers, what have you, they sell a lot of records, but most of their money is made from shows. When they sell records, you know, the record company takes this much amount of it, or they get this much percentage. But when they do them shows, that's where they, a lot of their money comes from. I think it's even similar with boxing. I think a lot of their, their especially if you're, unless you're Floyd Mayweather or Manny Pacquiao or Canelo Alvarez, a lot of your, your money is probably going to come from, from how well you can sell a show. And um, if you don't have fans there, that's, that's basically taking a big chunk out of that revenue. I think a lot of the top fighters are, are, are going to be either unwilling to do that and they're going to fight less often or they're going to take that pay cut. I, I truly believe it's going to open up a, a way that a lot of fighters that you didn't see before 
that you know the the the, the guys in the middle that didn't get a lot of exposure those guys are gonna get more exposure and those are the ones that are gonna capture capture our attention it's gonna be almost be like when we, we used to watch you know boxing on television in the 80s where you, you would see all these fighters like uh ray mancini who you probably wouldn't who today they probably wouldn't have been on you know a pbc or a top ranked network <laughs> so I, I think there is some 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 good in it a poet and just like there is some uh a, a bad you know a consequence of this happening right now yeah um I, I, i'll let you go on in a second bill i'll just add really quickly that you know i don't know how those contracts are worked out with those individual fighters and those promoters but you know if the zone has to be the sacrificial lamb as a fan of the zone has to be the sacrificial lamb for boxing to sort of start to get back to what Will was describing. Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry to zone, you know, but, um, that's all I got. Yeah. That's, it's really the zone's fault. Cause they never really had, I mean, you got to build up your, your, uh, roster. You can't just get one guy and expect to, 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 build everything around him if you don't have anybody else. You can't put him in you can't put a bunch of uh, uh, people who can't draw money and, and expect to make revenue. Like when um, the, the deal with Floyd Mayweather and Showtime was made, they made sure that all those fighters with, with, with uh, Al Heyman will be available. They're with Al Heyman. So he had opponents. He had possible opponents to build off of. Canelo really doesn't have that. Devin Haney doesn't really, really have that. They have to kind of like sell those fighters to, to, to the other networks and the other promotional companies. And I think that's going to be that is pretty much the zone's downfall. And the zone, it was a great idea. I, you know, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't a great long term business strategy. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I, thought it, I thought it was, a, I didn't think, I thought it, was, it wasn't. I'm going to tell you why I, I, I didn't think it, was, it started on shaky ground. It's because the way they were, um, they came up trying to fool people when, because it started with like Anthony Joshua and Anthony Joshua was, you know, their star, but he was trying to fool people from a standpoint that he really didn't want to fight. You know, he fought Klitschko, but then he was taking on certain opponents where they were picking and choosing and they really didn't want Fury, but Fury wasn't ready yet, but they were trying to avoid Wilder and they were throwing the money at them to get to make the fight happen. That's the biggest fight in boxing, but they were trying to avoid like that fight. They're trying to wait and stall. And so they already starting on shaky grounds. And I shouldn't even say shaky grounds. They were start, starting on a weak foundation because if you have fighters that you are investing money in, you got to have dogs, man. You got to have them dudes that, okay, you want me to fight this person? You give me this money? Okay, I'll fight whoever. Like put them in a ring with them. Y'all take right. care of the business, and I'll go ahead and ha- and I knock them down. They didn't have that, and they were like I said, they were trying to fool people from the start, and I think that's what what bit them in the butt. It b- bit them in the butt is the fact that, that the foundation that they started on wasn't solid in the first place. Anything else we want to discuss before we wrap this up? That's all I got, fellas. So yeah, you got in the tank. Oh, okay, okay. So I get. Yeah, oh, man, I was I was ready for another thirty minute, you know, of, of info. But if that's it, folks, um, yeah, we're gonna wrap this up. And like EPMD said back in the day, you know, we we want this telecast to go from here to Okinawa. Peace and reality. 
All right, peace. <laughs> peace. All right, fellas. All right.